Welcome, everyone. You have tuned in to Paradigm Shifters, and oh boy, paradigms are shifting in this day and age, and some of them are shifting back into the empowerment of human beings, of individuals, and conscious people over their own health. And I have a wonderful purveyor of health for you to talk to, to or listen to today, Dr. Maria Putney, who's a naturopathic doctor here in my town of Bellingham, Washington. Welcome to the show, Maria Putney. Thank you. It's very great to be here talking with you. Well, I've been going through a lot of your uh, material here on, on your website, which is for people who want to check it. Halleck. Is it Halleck or Halleck? Halleck. Okay. Halleck Holistic Health. Halleck Holistic Health. And you have some wonderful categories on this page. And I'm very, very eager to talk about the various uh, ways that you work with people. And I think, you know, you don't only do cancer, but cancer is one of your big specialties, is it not? Yes, it is. So what I would you... Seven... Go oh, ahead. Sorry. No, please. I, I would say 70% of my practice is is providing integrative cancer care to cancer patients. Ah, so what got you to be a, uh, what brought you into the naturopathic world for starters? And then we want to talk about why you moved into that as a specialty. So I originally, when I was an undergraduate, my intention was to go to medical school. And so I was in med and I was in the process of studying for the MCAT which is the entrance, entrance exam you need to take before you apply for medical school. And uh, when I was doing that, I had already graduated and I was working in a medical group as a medical assistant for a nurse practitioner. And I was also working part-time at a hospital as a phlebotomist in the lab, drawing blood. And I took these jobs in order to figure out if medicine was, my cup of tea, you know, was I going to be squeamish? Was I going to, you know, faint at the sight of blood, you know? Well, so were you squeamish? What happened? Oh, not at all. Oh, good. (laughs) I realized that I'm a little bit of a vampire um, at heart. And I've always been a very curious child. And in fact, my mother would say, I hope you use your curiosity for good, is what she would tell (laughs) me. And you have, right? I, I I hope to. That's that's uh, definitely my motivation in in pursuing medicine. And so and in working in those environments of the Western or allopathic medicine environment, I came to the realization that healthcare as a whole is not really a healing endeavor. Uh-huh. That much of what occurs are band-aids to chronic problems and there's no real focus on prevention and uh, a lot of mistakes are made in hospital settings and and even within a medical group looking at primary care most of the docs only have time to really give you a script you know mm-hmm. for headaches or for hypertension or for diabetes and you just get, you know, take pills, and that's that's how we're going to treat this. And there really isn't anything outside of that or a way for 
patients to really advocate for themselves or empower them to be a participant in their health. Mm-hmm. And, and one of my goals in going to medical school is that I really wanted to be um, an OBGYN. That was oh, my, okay. that was sort of my dream job. I had uh, been able to uh, be present for my nephew, my first nephew's um, birth. And I realized, wow, I, you know, this is great. I want to be, I want to bring babies into the world. And fast forward when I, when I figured out that um, it, it was in that, in that period of working with the medical group in the hospital that um, the nurse practitioner I worked with had, she would refer patients to a homeopathic doctor and to a Chinese medicine acupuncturist. And this was back in 1996. And I, I'd never heard of that before, you know, Hmm. what's homeopathy, you know, what's acupuncture. And so um, in that, I also was looking at um, the whole midwifery practice and that I would be able to, I could deliver babies, but, you know, at home or in more of a birthing center place instead of like a hospital. And so in researching those things, I came across that there were schools that actually provided, and at that time it was called alternative medicine, right? Right. Uh, and it's gone from alternative to complementary to now integrative, you know, and especially in the, in the field of cancer, that it's not a, you're going to do this instead of conventional medicine. It's that we're trying to pair the two and that's where we find the best outcomes for patients is when we can incorporate naturopathic and a, and a holistic approach to their um, health as they're getting targeted treatments that basically just addressing the cancer in their body. Hmm. That's really interesting. So did you find, uh, for example, you had to make a jump from uh, OBGYN, right? Or did yes. you did you actually do that? You just became a naturopath with specialties, and then how did you shift yes. into cancer? So from uh, attending National College of Naturopathic Medicine, I was in the midwifery program, and so I took all the courses uh, that pertained to that specialty. However, I had all three of my children while I was in medical school, and so when <laughs> I graduated. When I graduated, the thought of having a 24-7 type of practice, because with midwifery, once you establish with a family or with a mother, you, you're with her from the beginning until the delivery, and then you're helping with, um, you know, breastfeeding or, uh, you know, postpartum care and that sort of thing. And so I didn't really have that kind of availability having toddlers and a, and a new baby. Actually, my, my daughter, who's my youngest, was born six weeks before I graduated from medical school. So, so I, you know, it, was, it was full and I had, and I had two boys. Um, so, so my boys were like three and a half and two and a half. And, and then I had a newborn. So, but because I had studied midwifery or midwifery was part of my program, I learned IV therapy because if a woman gets dehydrated or she starts to bleed out, you want to be able to start a line with her. So 
that uh, and you work training, as a phlebotomist help with some of that too right oh yes yes and I actually I was like a TA for the lab practicum class because I already knew how to draw blood and 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 that sort of thing so I helped my fellow students in the classroom in the lab on how to find veins and and be able to do uh, sticks you know for um, blood draws and injections and things like that so um, anyway so I I decided to just see what once I started practice we'll we'll see what comes to me and I had been told by those who had been in practice for a while that a lot of times it's the patients that determine what your specialty is going to be. That sort of makes and, sense, doesn't it? Right. Mm -hmm. And so in that, uh, because I knew how to, how to do IV therapy and in Washington, the most of the naturopaths who went to Bastyr, which is the naturopathic college here in Washington, the, the scope of practice did not allow them to do IV therapy or injections until uh, November of 2007. Oh. And so I was already trained because my training was in Oregon that when we were allowed to do IV therapy and it was within our license, scope of our license, I was one of the few, you know, in Washington who could do it. And so word got around that I could do IV therapy. And so doctors, naturopathic doctors that were working with cancer patients would send me their patients in order to pr give them IVs on high dose vitamin C or um, nutrients like B vitamins or amino acids or alpha lipoic acid. You know, there's a number of nutrients that we can infuse. And that's sort of how I got my feet wet with cancer. Oh, I see. So let's talk about, uh, let me see now. If you're talking about infusions, you're talking injections, right? Right. So uh, an infusion is basically uh, nutrients or substances going in intravenously. Okay. So uh, where an injection can be, it could either be subcutaneous, it can be in the muscle uh, that you're being poked with a, a needle with. So like, let's say iron shots or B12 shots, um, testosterone is also can be injected mm -hmm. where IV, you know, it's, it's a bag of nutrients or sometimes a push. So it's like a large syringe that has a couple of things in it that you um, basically uh, those nutrients go in, into the vein. So are you, by, by the time you started doing all that, were you getting results fairly quickly? Like were you quite confident right off the bat that this was a fast route to helping people? Because I was very green, you know, I was I was just a new a newly graduated uh, doc, and and with naturopathic medicine, not everybody ends up with a residency where they can continue to learn. And within, say, a clinic setting, I mean, we had clinic hours that we had to put in in order to graduate, but there wasn't a requirement to practice naturopathic medicine where you needed a residency, and so. I felt very, that there was a lot I didn't know. <laughs> and, and so getting my first few, my first couple of cancer patients were actually stage four. Uh, their oncologist had said, there's nothing more we could really do for you. And it was more of a, how do we improve quality of life? 
how do we, you know, it was very palliative in nature. And, and that's, that was sort of the beginnings. And, and I did find that when uh, patients received infusions, because it, it goes directly into the bloodstream versus taking in nutrients orally, which is how we all do it. If, if our digestion is compromised, if we, uh, you know, have a lot of inflammation going on, or say we don't even have enough acid in our stomach to break things down, even if you're eating really well or foods that are really nutritious, if you can't access those nutrients because of chronic illness, then you're not going to get that. Or your appetite may be so low that you're not eating very much anyway. Mm-hmm. And so being able to give nutrients, uh, micronutrients um, intravenously can really perk somebody up, really give them a little more stamina, uh, improve hydration, uh, improve energy and those kinds of things. So I, I definitely saw some results in that. And because. And the results were quick, were they? Sorry, go ahead. What was that? The results, uh, the results you got were fairly quick with the infusions. Yes. Yes. Even with, even with cancer. Even with cancer. Hmm. Yes. Wonderful. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so you got on that bus and you really like it? I do. It has been a tremendous experience, both in, at a spiritual level, as well as a, to be able to make a living from sharing and providing care and information and emotional support to someone who's scared and um, maybe a lot of anxiety, maybe there's a lot of um, worry of the unknown. And you're, you're, it's a privilege to be able to be in that space and to be part of the team of that patient to help them feel better, mm-hmm. no matter where they are in that journey. Um, with their cancer diagnosis. I think that's really exciting. So, and you, were you already kind of spiritually driven or you were meditating or that sort of thing? Or was this coming up through your work? I had a pretty religious kind of upbringing. Uh, I was very familiar with the Bible. Uh, I could quote scripture. Uh, I did ministry work and that sort of thing. And but I felt like that was, there was sort of a limit to that um, experience that I, I, I didn't really see it as a spiritual one where okay. with my, with my work, I had individuals of all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of experiences, all kinds of different, um, you know, uh, religious beliefs and all that sort of fades away and now you just have two human beings that are trying to make a a, a bad situation better. Mm -hmm. And I just felt that being able to be in that space brought more spiritual 
felt more content in that or more um that's like not peaceful or gosh i i might have lost the words it just I think I can feel what you're trying to say. I want yeah. to jump around a little bit, not to take it totally mm -hmm. away from that conversation, because this butts up against that conversation, which is, were you also super aware of people's emotional nature and the illnesses that they faced? Has that been an issue for you to learn about or to practice? Yes. So part of the experience that many of my patients have with, with just their oncology care is that, you know, they might spend 10, 15 minutes with the oncologist, just enough time to review labs uh, and for the oncologist to say, okay, well, this is working or this is not working and we're going to do this treatment or, and then the rest of the time they're basically getting their treatments, you know, every three weeks or every, every other week. And, and most of their time is spent with the nurses at the infusion center getting their chemo or, or if they're getting radiation, you know, with the tech that's setting them up. And so there really isn't a space for those patients to be able to discuss how they're emotionally and psychologically feeling uh, about their current condition. You know, they might even I mean, be panicking, eh? Right. Absolutely. And, and I know that especially when you're about to get another CT, so say you've, you've had treatment for three months and then the doctor's like, okay, we're going to do a CT to check to see if this is all working. That, that wait, you know, waiting period of, of having to get this test done and then hoping that what you, all the, you know, basically hell you've been through <laughs> Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I don't know if I can use that word or not. I think we've uh, heard that <laughs> word before, Dr. Putney. <laughs> you know, that, that is it going to work or not? And, and what if it's not? What if it's not working? And, and it's all, you know, all for naught. And it's just, there's just a lot of emotional support that is lacking, you know, in the conventional medical world. And mm -hmm. so that, that's a huge piece of my practice is that, yes, I'm providing, say, infusions, or I'm providing nutritional advice, or I'm, uh, you know, providing sort of uh, supplements that that would be helpful. But in that time that I spend, we're we're discussing like, how did your week go? You know, are you having any side effects? How are you? You know, was there any any life changing events or or some anxiety that you felt this past week? And and what is that about? And how can we address it? Or um, and, and that might come in the form of that they didn't sleep very well or, um, you know, they were up all night with um, diarrhea and, 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 and haven't, you know, and basically laid on the couch for the past week. And, and then they feel terrible that they don't have the energy to do what they used to be able to do. And so really being able to express that and say, you know, how they feel and, and, and to reassure the patient that, you know, this is you are not being lazy. You are not being, you know, uh, less of a person because you're not able to accomplish all the things that you used to, you know, before you started getting treatment. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think it's important for them to be able to express that and, and know that um, they're not alone, you know, in, in this process. 
Well, it's really an interest. This is a very interesting subject. I mean, I've come to see you several times, and I haven't been terribly ill, knock on wood here. But your the ambiance in your office is very comforting. It's got it's got a kind of a safe feeling, and I go, you must have set that up, my friend. <laughs> right? Be- because aren't you aren't you someone who really wants to figure out how to he- how to heal people, not how to just fix things, yes. right? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And and especially in with cancer, there. There may not be cure, right? The ultimate end is that the person will will transition. And how can you find healing in that window of, okay, maybe the healing won't be a physical one, but maybe the healing can be an emotional one. Maybe you can have some closure with those individuals in your life that, that, that there's conflict with or you know I find that with with cancer there's always a grief or some life-changing experience maybe in childhood maybe you know uh somebody who's lost a a baby or um even you know if if they've had to make decisions like um having an abortion or, or maybe they were physically or sexually abused as children, or there's, there's something that uh, gets really stuck in their bodies that festers. And, Mm -hmm. and, and if they've never addressed those feelings or addressed that experience, um, maybe that's the work that needs to happen in order for them to release that feeling. And sometimes that's, you know, all the drugs and the, and the um, supplements and the nutrition in the world, you know, they can all be top notch, but if you're not addressing the mental emotional piece of your illness, you only get so far, you know, I agree with you. And actually, it's interesting to me because as you want to learn about healing, it seems like your whole process is about deepening into what it takes to be a a balancing human beings with personal Mm -hmm. expression, right? Is that right? Right. Right. So let's pick on somebody who's a mythical character who comes in and isn't feeling very well. And you discover, uh, how, how do you discover the nature of their cancer? Do you do testing first or you do a psychological profile? For, like, Tell me all about it as if we have a mythical character here. Yes. Uh, so if a person comes in and they don't know that they have cancer yet, and, and I've had a couple of patients like that, most of the patients who have come to me, they've, they've already been diagnosed. Oh, you know, okay. they've, they've, they've had the scans, they've had, bi- so, so to get a cancer diagnosis, basically you, the, you, uh, you do say it was a CT scan or an x-ray that was done. And, oh my goodness, we found something, you know, in your lungs or we found or a woman goes in for a mammogram and they found something in the breast, right? Mm-hmm. So then yeah. the next thing is to biopsy that. Um, so they take a sample of that 
little nest of cells that they found on imaging and send it to pathology. And then the pathologist determines if those cells are healthy cells or if they're cancerous cells. And then they'll give their report. And then the patient then gets referred to oncology. If it is a positive um, tumor, you know, if they're tumor cells. And, and then they determine staging. So is the tumor still within the primary organ? And that's a stage one. If the tumor is greater than a certain measurement, like say greater than one centimeter or greater than, um, I don't know, uh, two centimeters or whatever, then, then it's a stage two. If, the, if they found that cancer cells within the lymph nodes, which are also a, uh, they, the way they figure that out is with biopsy, um, then that's a stage three cancer. And then if there's cancer cells that are, say the primary was in the breast, and now um, they found lesions in the liver or in the lungs or in the bones, then that's considered a stage four cancer. Mm. And then from there, uh, then I think you probably were, well, I don't know. I'm, I've got a list of things that I found on your website talking about the different uh -huh. approaches you have. And we like the word integrative. Yes. We know that, right? So what are, right. uh, like, how do you decide who gets what kind of therapy? Is there a great option here? And do you ever use body work or that sort of thing? Right. So, so part of it is uh, figuring out uh, where they are in treatment. So if, if they've decided that, um, or the oncologist says, okay, this, you're going to receive six cycles of three chemotherapy drugs, and it'll be every three weeks then uh, my biggest role during that time of chemotherapy treatment is to support them, support their immune system, support uh, or, and address side effects to that. So nausea, neuropathy, um, constipation, diarrhea, uh, insomnia, uh, anxiety, you know, those are all the things that can come with even the drugs that are needed uh, to be able to tolerate chemotherapy, you know, are things like steroids, which can really make you feel wired and um, you can't sleep and you feel like out of your body. And so, so figuring out how to support the patient in that stage of their treatment. Hmm. That's pretty uh, and, interesting, and, isn't it? Yes. And so uh, many times, um, let's say IV vitamin C can be really helpful if given within 24 hours of their chemo treatment, the vitamin C helps to hydrate them. It helps enhance the chemotherapy, chemotherapeutic drug that was given to them. And it can also help address things like fatigue and nausea and to reduce those while you're getting your treatment. So it helps you tolerate whatever the plan um, of the oncologist that the oncologist has given you. And I, in that world of, of allopathic medicine, the oncologists have an algorithm they, that they can't really deviate from. Oh, really? So, so they, they give you a set standard of care, depending on what, what kind of cancer you have, what the staging of that cancer is. And, and everyone gets the same thing in, in those, you know, little boxes that they put people in. Right. And, 
only if you don't tolerate the treatment can they maybe deviate or change it to something else. Hmm. But, and then they can't really advise on anything outside of that. So well, how do you feel about you. that? Isn't that a bit kind of, I mean, <laughs> the human variable is so darned interesting, right? Right. That there is no one size fits all, in my opinion, you know, of course, that yeah. you have to personally care. And, and I think that's lacking uh, in the, you know, in the oncology world. It's just, it's just, yeah, every, it's just one size fits all. In we there. haven't taken the and, lock and off the box yet. <laughs> right. I, but let me jump for a minute because uh, one of the things you've got written under clinical nutrition is immune modulation. And because of the whole COVID thing and even thinking mm -hmm. about cancer and all kinds of things, do you go in and test for people's immune responses at the beginning or, or can you explain how we use that immune modulation kind of thing? Yeah. So, so there's a number of herbs that will uh, enhance like red blood cells or white blood cells. And it's our white blood cells primarily that um, have our immune, um, there's like five different types of white blood cells. And then there's also B cells and T cells, right? That, um, and natural killer cells and macrophages. These are all different kinds of cells that go out and scavenge through the body for viruses, bacteria, parasites, and that tumor cell that shouldn't be there. So it's a gar so, garbage disposal, is it? The white blood cells are? <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, basically, the, these, you know, you have your troops, you know, that go out and, and engulf or uh, somehow um, deactivate uh, protein or receptors on that tumor cell, and that tumor cell dies and then your body your liver has to be able to you know break it down and excrete it so that you know so there's die off of course when you have um chemo going on or you have radiation going on and so there are things that help boost those like say natural killer cells uh i use mistletoe uh mistletoe can be enhancing of natural killer cells astragalus can be um there's TH2 um, uh, immune modulator, and so it helps the, the TH2 pathway to be stronger, and and that will also take care of things that shouldn't shouldn't be there. Hmm. Where chemo basically is like using a grenade to kill a fly. You know, it kills everything, <laughs> oh, including you know, it kills any any rapidly dividing cell. So like your um, bone marrow when it's making. Um, new red blood cells and white blood cells, it, it, that can be totally devastated by chemo. And that's why whenever a patient's about to get a treatment, they always get a CBC, a complete blood count done prior to in a metabolic panel, prior to to make sure that their kidneys are functioning okay, that their, lung, that their liver is functioning, and that they have sufficient number of white blood cells and red blood cells to be able to tolerate that chemotherapy that they're about to receive. Hmm. Somebody called me the other day and said, we have too many white blood cells in my genetic strain here. What does that mean? And I didn't know. So I thought, well, I know I'm going to talk to Dr. Putney. She'll tell me. <laughs> <laughs> too many. He was worried. And I didn't feel like it was dangerous for them at this time. Uh -huh. Right, right. 
So, so an elevated number uh, of white blood cells can also mean that there's an infection going on, right? Oh, I so see. you might have, you might have um, elevated neutrophils, you might have elevated lymphocytes, which are um, the types of white blood cells that we, that we carry. And so that may mean you have a bacterial infection going on. Maybe you have a, a viral infection going on. Um, eosinophils are the white blood cells that have histamine in them. And those are, uh, so an allergic reaction to something will show up in that blood test as well. So if you're um, having a histamine response to something, so breakout in hives or maybe runny nose or, or watery eyes or uh, up to anaphylaxis where you can't breathe, you know, because of something that you were given. Hmm. Interesting. Um, okay, so going back to immune modulations, I'm not done with that one yet, of mm -hmm. course, with this, uh, with the COVID thing going on, people are developing. I remember thinking at the beginning about we should be developing our immune system is what we need to be doing, right? Yeah. So when yeah. you're talking immune modulation, that also supports uh, fighting off cancer or defeating cancer too, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It's, it's really our immune system that is going to do the work to uh, keep cancer at bay because okay. cancer is, us. you know, we're, it's not like people were injected with something and now they have cancer. It's like, it's your own cells that have gone rogue. Okay. So to speak. Okay. And so the immune system in our bodies is set up to figure out, are you me? Or are you not me? And okay. if you're not me, I'm going to attack you, right? I'm going to uh, destabilize you, or I'm going to affect your your ability to divide and to and and to promote yourself or to spread. Um, if you're me, if I identify you as me, I'm going to leave you alone. And so that's why cancer is very sneaky, and that's why it can travel so easily through the body because our immune system doesn't recognize it as something foreign, right? Ah, isn't that a conundrum, eh? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so in the oncology world, the drugs that have been, they, so they figured this out. They're like, wow, we're, we're sort of killing the immune system with chemotherapy. So now they have immunotherapies, which right. they and uh, so things like Optivo and Keytruda, which you probably have seen on TV commercials, or um, those are considered immunotherapies. They're PDL1 inhibitors. So basically, it's a drug that puts a little um, wrench at the point where the cells will communicate with each other to determine, are you me or are you not me? Mm -hmm. And because that little wrench is there, our immune system sees it and says, oh, you're not me, so I'm going to attack you. And so that's the way, so using your own immune system to kill your cancer. Okay, good. And it can be very effective uh, if, if you have the gene, you know, for pdl one inhibitors. But if you don't, then it's not very helpful. And sometimes it can be, it can worsen your symptoms and and you don't tolerate the treatment very well and, and have to do something else. Are you able to do gene testing? Yes. Yeah, so right now, I would say that probably the, the more cutting-edge thing that I've been doing lately is uh, testing through RGCC. 
Okay. And that's the company that's actually, it's, it's home base or where the testing gets done is in Greece, in Europe, right? Oh, Greece. Okay. Um, this, they do have a, um, an office, like a, a home base in the United States, which is in Texas. But it is a, um, it is a blood test where you can determine the sort of the genetics of your circulating tumor cells. Oh, they wow. can count how many are in that sample to get an idea of like how many tumor cells are circulating in your body, but it mm. can also look at uh, the the characteristics of that tumor cell. So, does it have the immortality gene? Can it repair itself quickly? Um, does it have a protein code that protects it from all the treatments that you might be giving it? So. Maybe it's shielding it from the chemo that you're doing, or it's shielding you from the vitamin C that you've been doing. So, uh, and then they have a test where they can determine which chemotherapy drugs or which natural substances can actually affect those cells and, and attack those cells. And so it's been a really great tool to be able to really fine tune and personalize integrative care with patients who do this testing. How, how long has that been available? I first had someone, I would say probably five years ago, okay. come to me to just give a blood draw. I wasn't familiar with the test at all, but they had another doctor who was going to help with interpretation and, and follow-up, and they just needed me to draw their blood to be able to send the kid off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and from there, I... I um, it's really been in the past year that I've 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 done the test now several times, and now I'm on their list as a provider who can do the testing and and then um, have a consultation on what things will work and what things won't work. Um, and the results have been amazing, have they? Have they been really good? Like I get- definitely have had have had uh, most of the patients who have done this have been breast cancer patients. And they and 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 a couple of them are stage four uh, patients, and they've got stable disease. I mean, they it's yes, they still have cancer in their body, but it's not taking over wow. because of the protocols that we're doing with them. So wow, it's, that's I think very it's very exciting, huh? Yes. Wow. Well, now I want to jump back to COVID for obvious reasons. And I'm going, what about the immune, uh, the condition of people's immune system? And uh, can you say anything about who's got a vulnerability to that kind of virus? Or is it like, is it the same for everybody? It's not, is it? It's not the same. I mean, this is this is a virus that has really, I mean, uh, across the board, uh, can vary from person to person of how they'll react to it. Mm. And there has been some, some focus on, you know, the pre-existing condition. So individuals that say were on beta blockers for hypertension or who had diabetes. So they already had sort of a, a predisposition for their kidneys not to function very well. Um, or they already had some sort of um, COPD, uh, and so their lungs were compromised. Those individuals were the ones that really got hit hard with the infection, right, who ended up intubated or um, in, in ICU. And then you have those that 
were carriers, you know, that just were asymptomatic, but were, but could spread it, you know, with a sneeze or a cough or. And how um, does that work in our systems to be a carrier? How does that work? So the experience we have or the information that we have on that uh, way back, uh, and I'm trying to think of what I want to say um, 19th century. Typhoid time. Mary, right? Typhoid Mary, yeah. yes. So she's she's always brought up in any microbiology class that you take if you're if you're in the sciences. And she was a carrier of typhoid, and and her job or her occupation was basically she was a cook. You know, she she would go to boarding houses and be the cook for the home. And uh, and when they found out that she you know was a carrier, they told her, you can't do this, you can't work with the community anymore. You have to find a different job that doesn't include cooking food or caring for people that you're going to be in close contact with. And of course she needed the money, you know, it's but like, how, what how is, did they know if she was a carrier? How did they understand that? With, because you, I mean, you can test for it, right? So there's a blood test that shows that you have antibodies um, against whatever infection it is, you know, oh, I see like you're is. immune already or something. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's some strep, strep throat is another, strep um, is another one that you can be a carrier for, but not necessarily ever have, have gotten it. And like somehow your, your body does not manifest all the um, symptoms of the disease, but you carry that virus or that bacteria in such a way that you can spread it to others, but it doesn't hurt you. Wow. And so... The same with um, the Spanish influenza, you know, back in 1918, sure. there were people, it devastated so many people, but there were a handful, you know, there were a few that they were exposed and they, and they cared for people and they never got sick, you know? Hmm. And so they just had a natural immunity to, to that particular virus. And, and I think that's the same for COVID, you know? Yeah, I was that, just going to say yeah. that, hey, some people will never get it, right? Right, right. But then how do we build our immune system so that assuming that most of us are susceptible, right? right. how do you build your so immune things, system for that? So there's, there's a lot of basics that are basic, are, you know, are, are free, so to speak. You know, having uh, good nutrition. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's sort of foundational things that keep us healthy that so... If we are exposed to something, how, you know, we're, we're not going to get that bad of a reaction or we're not going to get that sick with it. And, of course, one is nutrition, you know, getting having food in your body that um, are high in minerals and vitamins and um, proteins and good fats so that our all our cells in our body are fed well and can function well, right? Right. And then you have um, uh, exercise or moving your body. Uh, it's important to be able to, um, you know, work those muscles and, and, and basically let the cobwebs out so that we're not, um, you know, that will help us also maintain our weight. And, but it also helps our mood, you know, when we go for a walk or we go bicycling or swimming or do any kind of cardio, even yoga, gentle stretching, Tai Chi, Qigong, you know, all those things help us to 
get oxygen in. Um, it, it helps breath um, and it will help our mood. And so that's an important component to have in your daily life. Hmm. Um, and then there's, there's hydration, you know, uh, drinking enough water so you're not dehydrated all the time. Or if what you're drinking is alcohol instead or soda pop instead or, you know, um, juices that, you know, it, that contain a lot of sugar as your way of hydrating, you know, that that isn't going to, um, you know, that can take a toll. As so well that works on, against the water filling your cells or moving through your right. cells, does it? Right. Mm-hmm. And then sleep, having enough sleep, you know, uh, most people need eight hours, you know, a night. Um, some people thrive with six, some need 10. But having, being able to get good sleep, you know, every night which can be very difficult to do if you're stressed out, if you're post-menopause, if you're, you know, um, maybe you're a new mom and your baby is waking you up every, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> or you have three babies that are waking you up, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> wow. If you can do that, that's, that's a huge thing to be able to fight against anything that comes your way even when we don't know what it might do or, or are familiar with what it is. I mean, we're being bombarded by uh, toxins and, and viruses and bacteria all the time. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, our immune system's on all the time. It's just. Um, and I think the toxins, the toxins are sort of a mystery in a sense that they intercept how, how we integrate with our nutrition. Do they not a lot of the time? Mm-hmm. They do. They yeah. do. So if you have if you have things like heavy metals, you know, like a high lead count or mercury in your in your um, in your tissues, uh, though you know those are toxins that your body is is constantly like trying to get get rid of. Um, there's even um, there's even been some research on like tattoos, right? The ink. Oh in right, tattoos. I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, especially those who really covered a lot of their skin um, with them. I mean, the body starts to take that ink and sort of t- try to encapsul- encapsulate it. And if you take an x-ray or a CT scan, you can see these little globules of ink all over, like in the lymph nodes. And because your body's like trying to get rid of this thing that shouldn't be there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so think something you think is just, you're, you're just being, you know, cosmetic in your, in your life, you know, can definitely affect your health. Isn't and, that amazing? So does that, yeah. can that link, let's swing back into the cancer thing, because it seems like cancer is somehow uh, being triggered by a lot of toxicity, is it not? Yeah, so many of the uh, cancer, most cancer diagnosis is really from environmental exposures versus genetics. Okay. There's a few that there is a, a, a strong genetic component and that's why you have it. And, you know, and it's, you really don't have any control over that. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's the vast majority it's, it's environmental. So do you have heavy metals? Do you have, um, some sometimes it's the amount the um, root canals like in our 
Um, if we have a number of root canals, there's, there's a low-grade infection always going on in our mouth um, mm-hmm. because of them. And, and so our immune system's like um, pulled away uh, from really being able to take care of the body because of these little micro infections that are going on. Or maybe your diet is full of, um, you know, you, you like to drink a couple of glasses of wine every night. Or your, you know, your bulk of your diet is fast food or fried foods or a lot of sugar or a lot of processed foods. So those are all things that your body is like, uh, this isn't really a nutrient. You know, this is something that I'm, I'm needing to, um, to, to get rid of. And, um, and then that also affects our insulin. And then insulin can feed a lot of cancers have um, insulin growth factors that when you spike, that's the connection between the sugar and cancer is that when you spike your insulin, uh, those, any circulating tumor cells, they're going to be first in line to grab that carbohydrate load, um, than your healthy cells. And so that's interesting, isn't it? We don't want to be spiking our insulin, um, you know, many times a day, because after a while your, your pancreas just says, okay, I'm, you know, they're eating again. (laughs) We're tired. You know, we're not, it, it just stops producing the amount of insulin that you need or, um, and, and that can trigger, you know, growth, uh, in tumor cells that maybe had you not spiked insulin, you know, would, would, would stay dormant or not active. Hmm. So, um, golly, uh, we don't have, uh, hours and hours left. So I'm just thinking about <laughs> the things that, you know, and, you know, I know you have a very profound effect on people, but it seems like you're nurturing or moving people through these illnesses, whether it's cancer or other ones. Do you see on a massive level that, you know, with all the toxicity, et cetera, on the planet, but on a massive level, are we growing out of taking on cancers at such a high rate? Is that a possibility of evolving that we won't do it that way, but we'll do something else? Um, Is that a trick question? I I don't know if I understand exactly. Do you mean that? we might be able to, if we go back to the concept of survival of the fittest, mm-hmm. you know, that maybe cancer at some level for those who can um, live through it, that it might morph into something that, do you mean that, you know, for like the next generation? Uh, that, um, that we might learn the consciousness of ejecting some of these toxicities ourself or doing it more easily and reducing the the numbers of cancer uh, experiences going on around the world do you know what Mm -hmm. i'm saying is like because we live in a highly industrialized atmosphere don't we i just was wondering if we were going to evolve it's just a fantasy of my mind you know like Mm -hmm. are we going to evolve out of some of these things will we evolve out of the great plague of covid will we evolve you know what do you think i mean this is just a hypothetical you don't really know and neither do i right (laughs) right i mean human nature even with cancer you know or or like if you've had a child i don't know 
when you've had a really traumatic event in your life and you think you'll never forget it, you know, you're, you're always going to have it sort of in the forefront that, man, I went through this experience and it was traumatizing and um, the worst thing that ever happened. And then, you know, two years go by, three years go by, five years go by, um, 10 years go by. And, you know, you might ask someone, I, I mean, I, when I see older patients, it's like they forgot when they had surgeries, they forgot, oh, that's right. I did have, you know, a hysterectomy and my ovaries removed, you know, when I was, I think I was 45. I don't, you know, <laughs> so, so we forget, you know, and, and, and maybe that's protective. You know, but do we actually forget or is it still logged inside, you know, on a cellular level? Yeah. What do you think? Right. I mean, I, I think that trauma gets locked in. It, I, I don't think that, I think when your body feels it, uh, it is, it is something that you can't undo necessarily. Uh, and, and you will eventually need to find a way to cope with it. Like it will rear its ugly head in one way or another. So this and, is part of your work, isn't it? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's like being a wonderful sleuth. Do you like that part? (laughs) Yes. Well, wow. So where do you think, uh, I I don't even know how to end this. I don't really want to, but but we'll Mm -hmm. have to. And I'm going, do you see, I guess I'm asking the same question in a different way. Do you see us evolving into more of a, of being able to create our well-being and one another's well-beings on a massive level? Because it seems like that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I think that just like the rest of, uh, like the current environment now, if it's political, if it's environmental, if it's our health care, we're really trying to flip it, you know, to uncover sort of all these things that we've sort of just taken for granted or lived with or just thought, well, that's the status quo. You can't change it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that this this generation is saying, no, we, we've got to look at things in a different way. We have to change uh the approach, uh, and and we need we we all need each other to do that. Uh, we can't just be uh, working in in our own little sphere and and not you know communicating or not. And especially in the cancer world, you know, I really think that that any oncology uh, organization they are really doing a disservice to their patients when they're not open to integrating the care for their patients. Mm-hmm. When and, and oncologists know, they know that chemo and radiation and surgery are devastating and it's just what they have to work with and that you can't just do that and survive cancer. I mean, you just, you need more than that. And um, and you may forget your burns from radiation and so on down the road, but you will have something embedded in you that the trauma right. will still be there, won't yeah. it? Right. Wow. Right. This is such an amazing subject, and I'd like you to tell people how they can find you. I want to say thank you so much, Dr. Maria Putney, for being who you My are, pleasure. a wonderful naturopath. 
and for uh, answering all my questions as I drove us through at least some aspects of your healing world, which I think is quite profound. So tell people how to find you. Oh, thank you. Well, I am in uh, Bellingham, Washington. My office is close to downtown. Uh, uh, the address is 208 Halleck Street, Suite 101. And my office number is 360-325-8976. I also have a website, which is drputney.com, where you can email me through that website. And I, I basically will show what services I provide. And, and I don't just see cancer patients. I see, uh, you know, I, I'll do sports physicals. I do a lot of women's health. Uh, I do uh, men's health as well and, and, and other chronic illnesses that might involve, you know, autoimmune disorders or um, thyroid conditions and, and that sort of thing as well. So, so you're really uh, somebody to check in with. I'm just going through my list. Oh, yeah. You mentioned mistletoe and astragalus. And is mistletoe, uh-huh. is that an immune? Is that what you told me? Yes, it is. It is. It enhances natural killer cell activity, and uh, and it is a. Uh, it's used uh, widely in Germany, and they use it in hospitals there, along with chemotherapy. Uh, and uh, but it, it is kind of new to the U.S. Uh, and there are ways to get it, but definitely the FDA has tried to limit um, oh, of the ability. For- Americans to be able to have access to mistletoe. We just need to hang it over the door so at least we get some kisses while we go by as well, That's right? Is there anything final you'd like to offer to people before we say goodbye and thank you for being here? Oh, um, I, yeah. If you if you have a cancer diagnosis, there are there are so many things that you can do to help that journey be one that uh, is can be a positive one and 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 have great outcomes and uh, you know the resources are out there and 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 that's I I want to say my one of my biggest roles is doctor as teacher that. I can help navigate all that information, you know, of the internet that, you know, what is really evidence-based, what is really valid versus something that is kind of going to be a waste of your money and your time and, or might interact with what you're trying to do. And so um, it's important to be able to have, um, not have misinformation when it comes to your health. So, so that's definitely a role that I take very seriously in, in sharing with my patients. Because you empower people, Dr. Putney, don't you? You empower us to look after our own (laughs) well-being. I love it. Thank you so much for being a paradigm shifter, and we'll speak again. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is Veronica Antwistle saying goodbye, and we'll be talking next week on Paradigm Shifters. Thanks so much. (laughs) 